As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. The topics and opinions expressed on the following show are solely those of the hosts and their guests and not those of W4WN Radio, its employees, or affiliates. We make no recommendations or endorsements for radio show programs, services, or products mentioned on air or on our web. No liability, explicit or implied, shall be extended to W4WN Radio, its employees, or affiliates. Any questions or comments should be directed to those show hosts. Thank you for choosing W4WN Radio. Everyone has a unique superpower. What's yours? Tune in each week to get expert advice on creating the life you've always dreamt of. Be the change you wish to see. Ignite your inspiration. Fuel your purpose. Live your passion. And fire it up with CJ.com. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Fire It Up with CGA show. Today, we are going to be talking about passing judgment, praise and blame in everyday life. And we have uh, Dr. Terry Apter here from Cambridge University from the UK here. And um, I'm excited to talk to you, not only to get kind of a perspective on uh, something that I suffer from. If I have one emotion that is my nemesis, it's guilt, which is, of course, related to self Blame. I guess that's how I've just seen it written in your book, self-blame. So um, I'm hoping to get cured um, from this conversation (laughs) or at least get some help. (laughs) So welcome. Well, I'm delighted to be you, delighted to talk to you about that. Yes. How far we get. Please help me. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So I... um, I wanted to talk to you about, I mean, you had written in the book that you've been um, studying um, identity, family dynamics, and friendships, I presume, at Cambridge University, and and that one of the things that you've been fascinated on is judgment, and I wanted to find out a little bit about your experience and what you were researching, what you found overall. Well, let's start with... Uh, parents and, you know, newborn children, because that's actually where my research started many, many years ago. And I was fascinated by the way that um, uh, usually a mother, but parent and baby would lock eyes together. It's it's almost like I love, you know, it's they're fascinated by one another. Um, And very soon the baby becomes very interested in uh, that powerful expression, that powerful praise. Gosh, you're so wonderful. I'm very curious about you. I want to know about you. I'm sure you're wonderful. I'm sure you're good. And I want to know that. And how um, difficult it was for the baby if uh, he or she felt that the parent wasn't positively engaged, you know, um, having this rush of praise and admiration, if that seemed to dry up, I mean, sometimes it could just be because the parent was 
uh, distracted or distressed or thinking of something else. But for whatever the reason, baby would quickly become um, very disturbed. And it takes a long time for that infant to calm down when they've lost that assurance that the parent is saying, gosh, you're wonderful, gosh, you're wonderful. Yeah, that's fascinating, yeah. Later on, I think children become quite um, quite critical of whether what a parent is or what any grown up is praising them for. So if they're trying to do something um, that's quite difficult, they want that they want praise, but they want praise to acknowledge what they're doing. I mean, praise isn't always good praise can you know praise can fall short praise can be um, patronizing Um, it can indicate that the person isn't really appreciating what the efforts are but children are also um, you know you see if somebody blames them for something if someone expresses anger you can see the way uh, you know their whole demeanor changes their shoulders sag um their mouth turns down, they sort of become frozen. It's really difficult. It's really threatening to them. Uh, now, when they become teens, it's very different, but there are still these very strong issues of, are you approving of me? Right. So um, one of the things that from the very instance where you're talking about babies, who of course don't understand language, they're still communicating. And it's so it's the nonverbal communication that's actually happening. And so that's really what they're responding to. I think one of the things that in this, in um, your book, Passing Judgment, that you talk about is that there's all these ways in which we feel like I'm not saying anything, but it's like the curl of the lip and the, you know, the, you know, the frown, you know, all those kinds of things are communicating something to someone too. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, I mean, by praise and blame, I think we understand that. Children understand that long before they understand the word. Okay, so it's like they're, so that adults are communicating with children through their, through their uh, body language as well. And I think that that's kind of something that I hadn't thought about. And the thing that also in your book that I hadn't thought about is I think of that passing judgment as kind of a negative thing because I come from a spiritual lens and it's always about you should never pass judgment on another a person. But it's kind of a ridiculous concept because in order to feel safe, we're always kind of judging the situation as being safe or not. Um, that was another thing that I drew from your book, uh, Passing Judgment. Well, indeed. Uh, often we say, um, don't judge me, meaning don't form a negative opinion of me. But judgment covers both um, po- positive um, uh, appraisal as well as negative appraisal. So... When I say, um, you know, I think you're wonderful, that's a judgment. And, of course, I express I think you're wonderful or I think you're not wonderful in all sorts of ways without actually saying it. So, um, you know, we're very, very sensitive to reading faces. Mm -hmm. And faces express far more than we may intend to express um, of our approval or disapproval. I mean, there are all sorts of ways our face just leaks information that we may not want to leak. We may try to disguise, but, you know, it's well known. There's quite a, we think we can smile convincingly when we don't feel like smiling. That's much more difficult to do than Uh, we ordinarily believe. Mm -hmm. Uh, There are also little micro expressions that we may not be aware of, but we nonetheless feel their effects. So if I, you know, if I, if I pause, I mean, my children are very good at at reading me. If if they ask me something and I pause, they say, you don't like it. You don't want it. Um, and uh, that that, um, can be disconcerting. So, you know, every interaction um, is, every interaction has some kind of an evaluation 
in it. And I think this goes way, way back to the fact that we, as um, you know, as, as people living in an uncertain environment, have to assess: is someone trustworthy? Is someone cooperative? Is this someone I want to approach, or is this someone I should really try to avoid? And of course, this becomes much more sophisticated as we um, develop. We don't only, you know, we we don't only care: is someone going to attack me? Um, you know, is someone going to help me uh, gather food or whatever? But we also ask, is someone on my wavelength? Do they understand me? Do they appreciate me? Can I talk to them easily? Um, is this someone I'd like to be like? Um, or is this someone I really feel uncomfortable with who um, doesn't have my sense of humor, isn't interested in the kinds of things I am, doesn't you know, speak the same language, as it were, language mm -hmm. very broad. So we're always making... Um, assessments like this. So let me just, I want to go back to, um, you know, there's this thou shall not judge another. And it's yeah. like, please do not say anything negatively if you really don't know what the situation is. Is kind of the, but what I'm hearing you say is that the lot, you, you have to judge. You're constantly judging in order to feel that there's social safety among a group to understand how you're fitting in. So what, how would you, how would you amend the thou shall not judge? I mean, so that and then I'm also hearing, even if you feel like you're not saying anything, you're saying something with your body, the cur these little yeah. micro expressions. So if the thou shall not judge, is it, is that from an academic perspective, is that just a ridiculous notion? Uh, I, I, well, often um, the Bible tells us to do things that are really very difficult. <laughs> and I think, you know, judge not lest ye be judged is a reminder that other people are also judging you, that you're very vulnerable to other people's judgment. But it's also a reminder that your judgments um, are vulnerable to all sorts of biases, um, incomplete knowledge, and all sorts of foibles. But I would say the directive, don't judge, is impossible. That's what humans do. I think we're doing it in a way all the, all the time. Right. So what I would say is, um, yeah, you're going to judge, but so the so the most important thing is to think about when your judgments are sound, when they're really you know expressing your deep needs, your goals, your emotions, you know, that's important. You've got to go by that. But also be aware that there's, um, they're vulnerable to a lot of biases. And so in the book, I'm saying these are a lot of the biases that we're prone to every day. This is how we can describe them. It, will, it always helps to describe something and to give examples so that you're more aware of, of it and, and so that it's more palatable. If you realize that we are judgmental beings, we're doing judgment, then um, it, instead of trying to suppress it, we can try to make it much better. So what are the biases that we're subjected to? Well, of course, um, one of the big biases is the self-serving bias. It's so important uh, for me to think well of myself. I think wow. that's it's so well to think well of myself that um, I'm going. My brain is going to help me do that, even when I don't have the proper evidence to do it. So, I, one of the one of the um, first studies that a student in psychology learns is about. Uh, the question that you pose to people, um, are you a bad average or better than average driver? Mm -hmm. And most people say they're better than average. Um, you know, that's not possible because, right. average, you know, most people... Right. Most drivers are average drivers, but most people think that they're um, much, much better than average. And this is, will be not only driving; it's so it so happens that that preliminary right. So there's it's it like there's a there's a bias to be right. There's a bias to be better. Is what I'm hearing. <laughs> That's the self bias. Yes. 
tries to be um, better and um, yes, and also I can, and, and our memories help us with this bias. So um, I'm much more likely um, to remember when someone else didn't give me fair credit for what I had done, that someone else um, took credit for a lot of work that I did or a lot of help that I gave them. Um, and, but if you were to say, well, okay, that, that self-serving bias, you know, you're saying a lot of people have it. You must have it too. Uh, right. when, when when did you not give fair credit to someone? <laughs> you know, my my memory will save me. <laughs> right. and I won't be able to remember something, even though in all probability, um, you know, I'm just um, I'm average in that way. <laughs> what are some other biases that we have that kind of uh, distort our our sense? Okay, so um, the other bias is, and again, this is self-serving, but so if I lose my temper and I'm really unfair to a colleague or, um, you know, I can see that I've been um, nasty to a friend, I will say, gosh, you know, I'm hungry, I'm tired, I'm really under stress. Uh, it's something, it's not really me, it's something in my environment for the sake of this way but if um someone else um uh, loses his or her temper i'll think what what a bad tempered person you know <laughs> really nice. so that's one yeah but one of the most uh important ones and you know we see it all too often um in our society is the them and us bias so people I think of as like me or um, I associate with in some way, um, I think they're more entitled uh, to warmth, to food, to wealth, to, right. you know, to law, protection of the law. But people I see as, 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 as them for some reason that, you know, there's, um, it, it could be skin color, it could be um, ethnicity, it could be religion, um, it, it could be, you know, something entirely different, but it's often, all too often those things, um, then somehow they're less than us. Mm. And all the empathy that I have uh, for the people around me, the people who are like me, can close off um, when it's them, uh, when they're in a group that I think of as, um, you know, just just not part of me, not part of my world. And even if I can see what it is they're thinking, even if I can, um, you know, I, 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 I can understand their perspective, it may be that my empathy for their suffering is cut off. And that, of course, uh, means that I might be in a position, um, or when we're in that position, we're willing to see great harm done to them. And that's pretty devastating. Mm. Okay, so I want to take a recent example that's really hot off the presses. And well, two weeks ago, we had the shooting where this teenager came and shot 17 people. And now the aftermath is, you know, a bunch of students saying, you know, going over to, you know, the politicians and saying, please, can you just change the gun laws? And then fingers pointing to the NRA. It's the NRA's fault. And, you know, now I've saw that a bunch of people aren't buying, you know, companies are withdrawing their support from the NRA. And then it's about the gun laws. It's about the students. It's about legislation. It's about the guard that didn't rush in. It was about the the teachers that should be armed. So that so yeah. there's all this kind of blame that's circling around. And so from your academic perspective, what yeah. would you say is happening with respect to the biases? And how would what what's the framework that you put all this chaos that is descending upon us right now? Okay, well, n there's nothing like fear to trigger that them-us bias. Um, I mean, on the one hand, fear can make us closer to the people, um, you know, who are, who are we think of as us. Um, you know, if, if someone comes into my college and starts shooting, then I'm not going to care about um, some little differences I've had with a colleague um, 
or I'm not going to care that this student has frustrated me. You know, it, it's going to be that fear will draw us together. And, um, you know, the little things that once bothered us and that once made us seem different and um, drew conflict, that will go. And I'll just be, you know, we'll be all together. But other people who are outside of this us circle will seem more threatening and, um, mm. you know, I'll be willing um, to cast more blame on them and think they deserve greater punishment. There's also something called threat rigidity. When I'm under threat, I'm much less likely to reflect on my judgments, much less likely to change my way of looking at things. Um, and so I'll become very set in my ways. But what you have as well here, this is sort of in the aftermath. You're saying this awful thing happened. Um, there must be a reason. And that reason we frame as someone is to blame. Right. Something went wrong with me. And, you know, it's true. It's true someone was to blame. Someone pulled the trigger. And then right. you think, well, uh, he shouldn't have had a gun. And someone sold him the gun. And I think all of those things are true. Right. The mental health authorities didn't, you know, that he was yeah. reported. No one responded. Yeah. It's like, there's yeah. not one, but many, many points along the way of which I think that different choices would have been better, right? But, you know, he yeah. had a gun. He had he wasn't stopped. There wasn't a guard that stopped him. I mean, there was a series of things, but it seems like for it seems like we are all boiling it down to one thing. NRA, it's the guard. It's the mental health. I, I don't know. So, what you're saying is that we want to blame someone because there's like a fear, like, well, this could happen to my child, you know? So there's this us versus them thing that comes up. And then there's, it seems like there's this boiling down into like one person that I want to point my finger to. Yes. That's so, sort of satisfying in a way, because it makes you feel safer. If you're able right. to say, if it hadn't been for this person or this action or this omission, then um, people would have been safe. But it's also a way of, I mean, it's, it's that kind of reflection is important because it allows us to think how we want to change things, how we want to change the whole system um, so that it's less likely to happen again. And, you know, it's not just our biases aren't always things that we should simply reject and set aside. Um, our tendency to think about who's to blame, how did it happen, what's the context, um, is also productive. It's a way of going forward. Um, and that, I think, is something we should always have when we blame someone. I mean, you know, taking it back to the very personal context in which um, a parent is blaming a child. Let's say a child, you know, we have to blame our children. It's a very, very important teaching tool. We have to be able to say, you did something and as a consequence, something bad happened. Um, or, or you did, you know, you hit someone, you were careless, um, something happened. That's a way of teaching our children agency and that certain things are acceptable and certain things are not but it's devastating if you just stop there what you want to do as well is to say well I believe that in the future you can do better and mm. um, you know this is something you know, this is something you can learn from and framing it in terms of you're not going to do that again, are you? Um, and, you know, it's, it's quite a jump from that intimate trusting um, relationship to responses after, you know, this terrible shooting. Uh, okay, so wait, wait, so I, th I, th I think I have a aha. So you're saying that if we actually take the model of a parent with a child, let's say that the child um, cheated on a test or something, and you know, that's something that you don't want them to do, yeah. right? Yeah. So you say, 
you cheated on a test. I understand the factors that went into that, but you can do better, right? So that's like a kind of, you know, a somewhat medium size infraction, right? Yeah. Well, maybe yeah. not where you are, but you know, it's a, it's a medium size infraction to me, right? No one died. Okay, but in the case of like someone got shot, somehow we don't have that same kind of rational measured response. It's this kind of, you know, it's not the, hey, um, here are the various factors. We can do better. Yeah. It just continues at this pointing game. And there's not this, to me, the, the, the resolution of like, we can yeah. do better. Let's look at what caused this. Let's look at some of the solutions. Yeah. It's a multi-pronged, multi-step thing. There's not one factor. We don't go there. I've, I haven't heard one person on the news say that. I've, I've heard this, like just pointing at all different people yeah. being to yeah. blame. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So what you've just described is this has happened. Let's sit down and, and, and look at all the factors because with anything, there are a lot of causal factors. You, you know, the, the, the child who cheats on an exam can say, well, you know, it should be monitored more um, carefully. If, if, um, if it weren't so easy to cheat on these exams, I wouldn't. <laughs> right. you know. It's the system, right? <laughs> difficult. Yes, I actually did have um, a friend who thought whose um, son didn't cheat on an, an exam, but he would cheat on um, tickets for a train uh, because they were only checked, you know, every fifth time or something. And she was saying it's 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 the fault of the system of. Um, as humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The train regulator that they're not checking these, you know, that he has a valid ticket. So, of course, he's going to um, try not to buy a ticket for this journey. So and there is something to that. I mean, you want to look at the environment. Um, you want to, you know, make sure it's robust. But for, you know, something awful happened and you think um, things are safe. You think that these things have happened before and people are alert and yet it happens again. So you want to, you know, sit back and say, why what can we do about it? I mean, something um, comparable, and but even more difficult to manage would be, let's say there's a train accident, a derailment, and someone's killed. And then there's lots of things. What happened? What are all the things that happened? What are all the things that didn't happen? What were the checks? You know, how come the checks were, were if the checks were made, then the checks are clearly inadequate? And then you have to think, you know, sometimes stuff happens. You don't say that when there's a shooting, but maybe you do when mm. there's an or a derailment. And then you have to weigh up exactly how much um, effort are we going to do to assure people this will never happen again. Um, and you may, you know, people who support um, 
um, gun ownership or gun ownership of any kind would say, um, well, you can't take away liberties. Um, you can't take away our liberty just because someone else behaved badly. Right. Yeah. And this goes back to, and I, I'm, I've been trying to think, and maybe I'm, I'm kind of formulating after reading your book, Passing Judgment, the idea of social psychology, right? So there's a group of people, the social psychology is like, you can't blame all the NRA, you know, people who carry rifles for the act of one person, you know, that kind of acted inappropriately. Um, And then there's a social psychology. It's like, we don't feel safe going to school. I think, I don't know, what is it? You talk about social psychology as being a very uh, important aspect of this, this judgment game. So where does that factor into this context? Well, social psychology is simply talking about it in the way we're talking about it and, uh, you know, noticing that um, this is how people behave, this is how people respond. Uh, So, and and then you would look and say, well, um, it isn't, it's, it's not guns, it's, you know, it's people who use guns in a certain way, though that isn't at actually true either because there are so many deaths by accident accidental Mm -hmm. deaths from guns but let's just look at the argument Mm -hmm. um you know it's not the fault of the gun it's the person wielding the gun but in a country in which um you're not allowed to um have gun ownership then there are fewer there there are fewer um such incidents so uh, you know, um, so the social psychology, I didn't know what social psychology is. The social oh, okay. psychology is basically, that's what we're talking about. That's what yes. you're saying. Okay. <laughs> Sorry for my ignorance. Now I know. Okay. Tell me about the neuroscience part of it. That where does the neuroscience piece come okay. into this context? Right. Okay. So unless we've been talking about that too, and I didn't realize that <laughs> I mean, new territory. Is is interesting because it it gives it it gives another picture to what we sort of know already or we may know already. So um, you know, I've already told you without anything about neuroscience about the way in which um, children are very responsive to both praise and blame, and they seem to open up and flourish in certain kinds of praise. Uh, though I think it, I think it would be interesting to see ways in which praise can also be annoying and patronizing and controlling. But you know, on the baby level, they really love it, and how um, disapproval is makes them freeze and close down. Well, you can actually see this um, as a neuroscientist because uh, when they feel they're ter- they're admired. Um, they feel that they're a, a great blessing. That they're wonderful to the people who matter to them. Their uh, brains are um, filled with all these wonderful chemicals. Um, endorphin, right? Yeah, oxytocin and and the endorphin compounds, and this actually facilitates brain growth, brain growth in the sense of more and more um, connections, positive connections. Mm. And you're able to learn more. You're able to, um, the brain becomes what's called more plastic, um, more responsive to the environment, able to learn more things and more and more things. Whereas um, in a in a context in which uh, a child feels disapproved, and that can include neglect and it can include abuse as well as just, um, you know, um, you know, I don't think you're good enough. That is very stressful and that releases uh, the, the, the chemical cortisol, which is really toxic to the developing brain. And there are fewer connections um, that develop. So there's less going on in the brain. There's um, less of that uh, very important growth in communication in different Mm. brain Mm. allows us to learn, um, and also less plasticity in the brain. Mm. So 
you know, it's more difficult to catch up later, even if things improve in your environment. But another thing that's been found, and this is almost on the biological level rather than neuroscience, and that is that it's, you know, I would, social status is a kind of praise in the environment. You know, you walk around and people respect you. Um, uh, people say hello to you, people are glad to see you, or at least respectful of you, and, you know, will listen to you, and you are able to have, feel that you have a positive impact on their lives. If you're very, very low status, it's likely that people might shun you, people might suspect you, distrust you, try to avoid you. Well, people who live in this social environment of higher status will live 17 years longer. Than wow. And this seems to be on a very cellular level wow. that the stress of being um, low status really impacts um, on our physiology. And, you know, we're not as healthy. It, it seems to... Um, suppress um, our immune system and you know that's that's a big difference um, and it's something that how important that is to feel walking around that you you know you're worth something that mm. other to praise you and then people low status where they feel they just don't have a chance Okay, so I want to bring up a different context away from the shooting and more about two different things that I'm observing. The other big trend that's happening is this Me Too movement. And, um, and I'm finding two really interesting things that I'm observing. So I have a, a son who is in college, and I was talking to a friend of his who was in college, and I just went to a Duke woman's, I, at Duke University where my son goes. Uh, we were there was a woman's forum and there was a woman who stood up and she said, I am just so sick of men. I feel like I, like I just have to school them all the time. And they're just constantly, I'm having to fight them all the time. And I'm just so tired. And um, it was interesting. So I thought, wow, well, one, why are you fighting with them? Um, I would be tired if I were fighting with them too. But I was talking to my son and I said, so how are you feeling as a man, like an mm -hmm. Asian man? And he was with uh, a white man. And uh, they said, you know, it feels bad to be a white man now. It just feels like, like I'm thinking about the neuroscience. They were getting negative messages about being a white man. And um, in their social stage of development, they're both in, in, in college, but like they're being shunned and considered less than in the society that they live in because they're a, a, a man. And they, and they haven't, you know, these kids haven't done anything. Like yeah. they haven't, they haven't had a me too experience where they treated a woman. And, and what my son said is he said, you know, it's really hard because I feel like I'm instantly judged when people don't even know me. If you know me, then you can point out, you know, all my particular ills. But if you don't know me and you're just judging me because I'm a certain gender, it feels really bad. And so I just think that that's an interesting and cautionary tale that we have to be careful about in in getting enlightening enlightening people to a real problem that we don't create another problem. In Absolutely. so, yeah. uh, so that was just so um, worrisome to me, but. When you talk about the neuroscience, I think, are we going to have a whole bunch of disempowered men that we're now? <laughs> so what, what would you have to say about this? Oh, um, well, okay. I won't, I won't make predictions, but I take it as a cautionary tale, and I think it's very, very rough. So w what's good about the Me Too movement? Well, what's really good about it is that you know, in certain cases, you can see how women were saying, um, I, I'm very uncomfortable with this person. This person is a danger to me. This person has offended me, assaulted me, raped me, and um, no one will believe me. And if I speak out, I'll just be punished. Right. So, um, you know, that is terribly low status. Right. Um, you know, it, it's a... 
you're harmed, that's too bad. This person is a genius or this person is privileged or, you know, the CEO of a company. uh, Yeah. uh, um, So, um, you know, there's nothing you can do about it. Get over it or not. But, you know, we're not, you know, you're not going to your right to be treated as a, as a, a human being is, is right, not absolutely. acknowledged in this case. So with enough people um, speaking out, then, um, you know, it becomes more plausible and um, the people who are speaking out become more powerful. And that's certainly a force for good to say being a genius, being CEO, being powerful, being rich it's not enough. I mean, you know, you don't get, you don't get, you, you don't get credit, so much credit. Right, for you that. can't use this power deferential to harm, uh, to justify harm of another. Right. So, um, on the other hand, but, but, you know, so it's the, it tends to be the younger women or certainly women younger than me who are speaking out. And what I would say is when I was um, a very young woman, yes, I could see men like that. There were men like that. But we knew that they were bad people. I mean, we could, you know, we could see it. And it wasn't everyone. It may have been a common theme, but it wasn't everyone. And what may be happening now is that people standing up and saying, you know, I've been silenced, I've been dissed, I've been uh, told that I just, you know, that my pain doesn't matter, and now it does matter. Um, that, that, that can mean, now I have the power, and I'm going to make all of you suffer. Right. That, that isn't any good. That can and um, I think that the Me Too movement has to be able to distinguish if it, you know, if it's going to be a force for good, then there has to be a, a, a distinction between who did offend them and who did not, right. and um, who thought it was fine to behave like that and who did not. And it's also when we're looking at biases, um, there's something called um, a self-confirmation bias. So if I have an idea in my head or a feeling that's very strong, then I look around and I see lots of cases that confirm that. Mm. And cases that don't confirm it just sort of drop off my radar yes yeah so we have to keep those you know good decent men you know uh, husbands partners we've loved sons we've raised we have to keep them in mind too and we don't want to silence them or to put all you know it's a a real bias uh, putting all men in the same category just because some have behaved badly. Right. Yeah. So, and then I have a flip side. I love that. And I think I love the self-confirmation bias and um, it speaks to what I saw as the flaw. I mean, I'm seeing as a potential flaw and I don't know if it's young women generally, but this kind of, and, and you've stated it perfectly. It's now the power balance has shift. So now let me actually suppress you, you know, and it's like, yes, it's just a bit yeah, like, yeah. really, that's almost as, just as bad as it, it's the, it's kind of hip, hypocrisy because you're, you're saying you are in power and you oppress me. Well, now I'm going to be in power and I'm going to oppress you. Like, <laughs> and it's, I mean, you know, you can see it on a, on a big scale looking at history, the, the French revolution. I mean, the, the um, aristocratic, did oppress the the ordinary people but then the ordinary people came to power and they started oppressing everyone yeah <laughs> this is the two wrongs don't make a right okay so here's another thing that i saw that was so it was so uh, there were just so many things that sprung up after this woman's forum and one of them was um for women who say sorry too much there's um, and um 
it's almost it, you talk about it as self blame, and what was interesting is that you if they're fundamentally underlying that belief is that um, people we care that. That the we that people we care about would be better off without us, and so we have this kind of underlying. I mean, I'm not I'm maybe not explaining correct, but from your perspective as an academic, how would you explain this? Like over apologize. Like I feel like as a woman, I apologize, and I've made a pact myself to not apologize because sometimes I apologize for things that you know. If I actually did something like I spilled your coffee all over the place and, and, and ruined your white suit. You know, I actually am sorry because I'm accountable for that action. It harmed you in some way. I'm sorry. But, I, but people in, in the UK, which is which I learned this tendency is you say, sorry, I'm sorry, 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 sorry. You say sorry for like breathing and existing and having space in the universe. So what is this? I'm so, how, how would you diagnose this? I'm sorry. Epidemic. I would say. Okay, well, there, um, I mean, you've brought up a lot of things there. I know, I know, that's how I am. I'm sorry. (laughs) Let's go to the women. um, So, um, I think when, uh, and again, this isn't in bill, this isn't in, uh, this isn't um, essential to women's nature, but people who, have who are accustomed to having less power are more attentive to other people's judgments uh, than people who have more power. Um, mm. they, 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 they have to monitor other people's responses a bit more carefully. And they have to, and they may anticipate um, having uh, causing offense. And I think the, the sorry bit isn't necessarily only, it's a downside, you're right, you should (laughs) try not to say it too often or try not to feel it too often. But on the other hand, I think it it goes in tandem with you are doing things that are, uh, that you want to do, that you want to say, and then suddenly there's this, this, should I have said this? And, oh, I wasn't perfect, or, um, oh, I'm in your space. Um, and you you anticipate disapproval. So it's anticipating disapproval, but it may be that you're anticipating disapproval while, while you're um, half going about expressing yourself and getting things done. So it's not always only a bad thing. But feeling, um, you know, if you really feel uh, that you are worthless to the people around you, if your very existence offends them, then that's far deeper, I think, than that little tick that a lot of us have of saying, oh, sorry. Um, You know, that's really shame where you feel people would be better off without me. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, I'm nothing. And that sense of mortification that we have when we feel, you know, we're, we're just polluting the social atmosphere or the personal atmosphere. We're not adding anything to that. And I think we, you know, you only get to that state when there's so much um, uh, blame and dislike and bias against you and uh, people are always putting you into that category of not good, distasteful, unclean, what, you know, whatever it, all of the words that, or all of the ideas that people have about what we don't want as part of us. And I mean, and being filled with shame is really a horrible place to be. It's um, um, a colleague of mine who's a psychiatrist says it's like the death of the self. Mm. Uh, and, you know, mortified means uh, it comes from the Latin to die. Mm. Uh, so you really feel as, as though you're dead or you might as well mm. be. 
Mm. So, so help me explain the whole phenomenon. You have it in Canada and you have it in England, and now it's starting to be in the U.S. Where you say, "Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry." So the the Canada inversion is like, "Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry." <laughs> like I'm sorry for like you know you hit someone, you're jostling, and sorry, 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 sorry. You know, you 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 know you're on yeah. the train, someone hits each other, sorry. You sneeze, sorry. Like it's so. What is that all about then? You've described. Um, and I th- think very rightly um, the type of situation in which that often occurs, and that's quasi-public where you don't really know the people. I, I think it's difficult um, living in a crowded planet, and we're not quite sure what it is, um, you know, what what kind of thing we have a right to and what kind of thing might offend other people, and mm. we don't want to offend them so you know I don't think it I don't think it necessarily indicates um, a deep-seated sense that we're worthless but it suggests uncertainty about what's acceptable to other people I think we are living in a social environment in which each of us is we can very easily become very uncertain about what's okay to other people. Mm. Yeah, so you're saying that that's more like, I'm not sure, I'm in in an environment where I'm with lots of different people on a subway, I have no idea what will offend you and what will not offend you, so just to be safe, I'm going to say sorry for everything. And also, it may be that um, you think they're a little dangerous, and so you want to placate them. Right. Um, yes, that's true. Yeah. Okay. Um, all right. Um, oh, gosh. I have one more question. Can um, We have to wrap up, but do you have time if, um, after the show? Because I want to talk about you raised an interesting idea about gossip. And oh. I'd love to find out the positive aspect of gossip. Okay. So for folks listening out there, are you okay with this, uh, for a couple more minutes after the sh- after? Okay. All right. So you have one more minute. Um, we've been talking to Dr. Dr. Terry Apter about her book, Passing Judgment, Praise and Blame in Everyday Life. And we just touched upon modern day, you know, kind of trends, things that are happening um, right now, but um, in the book, it's, you know, how do we actually, how does this happen in all contexts at work um, with your relation, love relationship, with your kids, with your peers, and how all of this plays out, and so we just just touched upon a very small aspect of it, so if you want to learn more about um, this topic, get Passing Judgment, so thank you so much, and tell us your website, too, before we close well, on the radio. It's terryapter.com. So it's T-E-R-I-T-E-R-R-I-A-P-T-E-R.com. Dot com, yes. Yes, thank you so much for being on the show. It's been a pleasure. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Fired Up with CJ. You can join the conversation, contact CJ Lou yourself, subscribe to her YouTube channel, and find her Facebook page. And check out more shows online now. Get links to it all at firedupwithcj.com. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere 
and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.